Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Nuestra Victoria from the album Hella Love. And that's by the band Marinero. And my guest today is Jesse Sylvester, the fine voice in that song. And uh, I fucking love that song. I love this band. And Jesse's a great guy. We have a great conversation. Um, my Spanish pronunciation isn't the best, so I'm, <laughs> I, I, I apologize if I did not execute those words with the best of my ability, but I won't lie to you. I often butcher... Well, if you listen to this podcast, you know I, I struggle sometimes. doesn't mean it's not a good podcast. And this episode is especially great and it's because uh, Jess and I talk about a lot of uh, personal stuff, and I'm not going to tell you what that is because you're about to listen to it, but if you like that, if you never heard of that song, or you never heard of this band, please go to the show notes uh, and uh, go and buy the album. It's great. I'm getting it on vinyl. Um, it's really been... Uh, I got an advanced digital copy. Oh, and by the way, that's out uh, by uh, coming out on Hardly Art, May 21st. So um, it's a fantastic album, but please be sure to buy it and follow Jesse and and Marinero on the uh, Instagrams and whatnot. All that's in the show notes. Just like all my things are in the show notes, you can go to mattdwyer.com or go to my Instagram, Conversations with Dwyer, and you can see who past guests have been or who our upcoming guests are. Uh, I have a lot of great upcoming guests, like Lou Barlow, I believe is next week, infamous, legendary Lou Barlow. And I've had, like, Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips. The list is long. Please check out my library as well. And um, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, you could listen to uh, Jesse and I talk for free, or you go and watch it, and you get some extra content. There's always extra content on my Patreon. You get a little pin if you join that was designed by Charlene Yee. Uh, there's always, and I also do a uh, podcast solely that lives on my Patreon where I talk to comedians about music and it's uh, a lot more laughs. Not that this isn't got a lot of laughs, but, you know, I'm talking to comedians and they tend to make jokes. Um, I think that covers everything. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's really great. Again, please buy the album, May 21st, Hardly Art. Hella Love is the name of the album. And please enjoy my conversation with Jesse Sylvester. Goodbye, God bless, golden bay, this is... We were talking about addiction, and I know, like, we've messaged about it, but I was wondering, do you think there's an association with drinking and sort of toxic masculinity, or just masculinity? Maybe, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at least in my experience, I, I, I mean, I... I Like, when I talk about models and, like, what you grow up seeing, you know, and, like... Um, um, like my mom, my mom's side of the family is more on the West coast and my dad is from the East coast. So I had, I came from like a, a mixed like biracial family, but I was like Irish from Massachusetts. So we didn't really see too much of their family, but the family that we had out here, um, or the family we had in Mexico, I, I just remember like loving my, my uncles, but they were, they were like the, like the cliche, like, um, alcoholic, um, <laughs> like uh very emotional when they're drunk or or i don't know like a lot of pride you know in our, in our family you know you'd hear stories about like how like family member like a family member sh- like shot someone 
because they said that they farted or something like that. Like something crazy, like stories like that. you like so much pride, you know? And like, so like, what? Like, um, is that the Irish side? Think, it could be, it could be actually be both. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think they're really similar. You know, you have like Catholic guilt and good sense of humor on both sides. But, um, but, um, but on the Mexican side actually, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it, um, toxic masculinity having to do with uh, uh, being connected to alcoholism. Yeah. Cause I think that it's just suppressing, you know, it really is just suppressing like communication or, or vulnerability or, um, you know, it becomes a crush for people. Um, for me at least, you know, it, uh, from what I've seen, like within my, my friend groups, like we weren't having like intimate conversations, <laughs> or, like vulnerable conversations. We were essentially just like, uh, just talking, you know, it's just, uh, it's the last place for like the, the, the juxtaposition of toxic masculinity, which is like, I think emotional matureness, you know, or emotional maturity. Um, but yeah, I think that as far as for me, the models, you know, I've, I've seen alcoholism is definitely in my family. And I think that like, um, with, with, I guess the Mexican side specifically, there's this like, like this cultural, cultural idea of like machismo or like being macho and I think with that there's a lot of pride and like a lot of uh well there is a lack of communication like showing weakness I think and expressing yourself and uh, at least that's what I've seen in my family personally yeah it was my grandfather who owned bars in Chicago made it and he took me to bars as a kid which was and so I had this like nostalgia about old bars and like he would let me drink when we were fishing which is at the time people were like, Oh, that's hilarious and cute. But it's like, you fucked me up, man. (laughs) (laughs) You made it look cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely. Yeah. I mean, at at the very least, like talking to you, the little we've talked to each other, like it's cool that we are at least out of it. So it's like, we get it out of our system a little earlier, you know, and it takes what it takes sometimes like friends passing away or, going to jail or hospitals or whatever, you know, but you know, the, the usual, but, um, but it, it's cool that it's, I, I'm at least, I'm, I have similar experiences with like being young and the things we've talked about via text or messaging one another. We, we, we talked a little bit about like me drinking earlier on too and bars um, at a young age. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good that we got out of our system a little bit earlier too, I think. Yeah, I mean, some people are still in it. You know, it's like the hard thing is, I think, just being able to be self-aware enough to like look at yourself and realize, like, oh, maybe there's a problem here. And I think that's a huge <laughs> step for a lot of people. I mean, I think everyone, a lot of people, can admit, like, I think there's a problem here. But like the next step of like, you know, either seek help or ask for help or you know, open open lines up for for you know, surrendering is what what they say. You know, but um. Yeah, a big yeah. a part of it was for me is I don't want my kids to go down the road that I did, or I don't want to set like because I have two daughters, I don't want to set the example yeah. of like here's the guy who should be in your life, the drunk fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you but you have you have a better insight than this. I, I I don't I don't have any children, but you know you have the classic scenario. So this is more of a question: Do you? you have the classic scenario of like a parent who? who might be like uh, who might be a musician. Right. And then the kid to rebel, like does the opposite or in a way, you know, it's like, and then some parents, you know, it seems like they, 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 they have a good communication with their kids. And uh, so, you know, some parents like smoke weed with their kids. I don't know. Like, it's just, do you feel like, do you feel like it, it seems like one of those things that's so hard to even anticipate or control? You know what I mean? Like if you're going to innately possibly, you might possibly get like a rebellious kid that will just, do the opposite of whatever you do. <laughs> if she joins a sorority and becomes a right wing Christian, yeah, then she's rebelled against me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's like, like it I, happens. but you know, I know like just a lot of the w- women I've known have married their dad in a lot of ways. And it's mm-hmm. uh, not my wife. I couldn't be more different, but uh, yeah. I just don't want to, like, I remember reading her, my kid bedtime stories with like, tequila on my breath and being like is she gonna associate that smell as i associate the smell of taverns bring up like nostalgic feelings (laughs) yeah 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 okay that's a crazy 
but I, I don't want to associate that smell with love. I know that might sound crazy, yeah. but that just seems. No, no. That makes complete sense to me, man. Like put it that way. Um, I would, cause you said to me that you've, you were drinking in a bar in Mexico when you were 12 yeah. and like in my head, I had this image of you like by yourself, almost pretending to be, were you by yourself? No, I was like with a local, a local kid. So like we're, we're talking like a really small town, uh, in a pueblo. And like, it's like where my family's like from, like my mom, my mom wasn't born there. She was born here with my grandmother was was born there our, that's where our family that's where we would go visit at a young age and it's about three hours away from like the biggest one of the biggest cities in mexico and guadalajara and like so i remember earlier on like i would i would i would uh, hang out with my uncles and they would have like friends of the family or people that would like help them out with uh like my, my uncle had like a bunch of horses he had a bunch of goats so he had like a bunch of cows and stuff and he had friends like local people that would help him out with stuff and there was just, there happened to be like a local kid that was like a couple of years older than me and like he's like we were hanging out together a lot at, around, around the age of 12 and um yeah he took me to a bar <laughs> at 12 and it was not a problem man like and i i was like self-aware i was like damn for, for one thing like just the way i dressed and because it was a small town um, I mean, you know, I wasn't from there, you know, like, and people, people would recognize you cause it was small, but it didn't seem to be a problem at all. Like we just had money. We bought some beers, we drank them. We, we walked around the plaza and like circles and, and, uh, checked out girls and it was, it was great. You know, it was, it was like a eye-opening experience. And then the whole time you're seeing at that, like similar to you, similar to fishing, like you see, you see these, these men in your life that you admire so much. And you see them like how you hear, you smell the tequila under their breath, like uh, when they're reading these stories, you know? So uh, in a way, you know, so they made it look really appealing and, and, and it kind of like solidified my idea at a young age of like what, uh, what a young person, what a, what a man was supposed to be, you know? So um, it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, honestly, I quit a couple times. I quit. Uh, actually, I quit. I actually I quit smoking twenty years ago. I take that back. I'm bad at math, and I just proved it. But like, I quit drinking when mm-hmm. when I hit forty. I'm old. I'm old, Jess. I'm I'm getting there, man. I'm thirty eight. Um, God, I would have never guessed you're thirty eight. You look. Yeah, man. It's because I quit drinking at twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> at twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been that young. long. Yeah, it's been it's been like eighteen years. Yeah. Yeah, eighteen, nineteen. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm bad at math too. I think it's about right. Yeah, I quit for two years, and then I was like, "Oh, I got this," and then I didn't have it. But, but I. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, least, it, yeah. Did you just do a cold turkey? I did. I went cold turkey. I actually went cold turkey both times. The last time, which was recently, my wife just said like, brought up health things, and I told you my friend passed away, and I was like, and it wasn't like. Um, before where I think I'd lamented it and like, I would still romanticize it in my head. But I was just, this time I was like, yeah, fuck this. Like I just, it wasn't even like, it wasn't even a question. It was just like, yeah, I got, I got other things to do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Do you feel creatively that it, cause I feel like there's, that's also, there's that mystique of, people who say you know like oh you know like charlie parker is a fine example of like well he probably wouldn't have been able to play and it's like that shit was in to me it's like that was there and then i was yeah i often like to point to tom waits it's like tom waits got fucking weird and crazy after he quit drinking musically yeah it's like and i yeah i can hear about stevie ray vaughn and stuff like that too or like uh like guys when they get sober they kind of like lose their spark a little bit or something but like um I mean, most musicians in reality, like burnout really, you know, <laughs> you know, the ones that we really love, you know? And so, um, at least we can, we can study history a little bit, but I mean, I think there is this romance to it, but, but you know, I, I got sober when I was 21 and there was that alluring romance, of course. And that's like being a mu- being a young person that's playing music, um, that gives you free reign to like be a shithead and just be, um, hurt yourself. And, and if you're a person like me that like has zero moderation, then it's just, you just, it's just, 
it got to a point where like uh there there wasn't any room for the art and creative stuff and so it's just it just uh took over completely and it just took it took a while honestly from like 21 till i was really able to um be confident or gain confidence and that's that's a process and you know just uh feeling comfortable and, and learning to find your find my voice again or not just like singing but like my own just just figure out who i am you know after like just being really repressed i think and and uh numb to the world you know so um it took a lot of different haircuts it took a lot of different <laughs> hairstyles you know music styles weird bands that you've never heard of and luckily my space <laughs> doesn't allow you to hear them anymore but um <laughs> but uh yeah it took a lot it took a while to get where i'm at today but i think that with creative stuff just like any craft i feel like with time and practice, like, uh, I just feel more comfortable doing it now. And there's less of that critical stuff that goes on when you're just like, really, you hear a lot. I talk to a lot of artists about it constantly about being critical and hard on yourself, beating yourself up about it, being afraid to show people stuff. And, you know, that's, that's there with or without alcohol most of the time. And, and for me, like it just, it just took time to get more confident and more and more comfortable with what, and enjoying the process of making music more. And, and uh, like the last record, Hell of Love was just kind of like, um, yeah, it was just in a really, every record feels a little bit stronger and it builds, builds, and builds. And, and it was, it was fun to flex whatever new muscle I was with, um, with uh, Hell of Love in terms of production and, and arrangements and stuff. And yeah, it gets to a point where it's like, Oh, I, I can, I can do this. And, and be okay with that and, and not need, not need that stuff, you know? And I've heard a lot of people talk to me about like, Oh, well, it sounds like sort of psychedelic and there's, you know, it sounds like you are like some kind of stoner or weirdo, you know, but like I, I take that as a compliment and, but it's, it's a different thing. You, you don't have to make uh, I guess psychedelic music to, you don't have to be wasted and do that stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, you know it's interesting because you were saying like you had to refine your voice or uh, oh yeah, and it's to me it's like I don't, I've always been a late bloomer and I feel like I don't I don't feel like I've really come into my not just like what I do in life but also my person is pretty until very recently, and I wonder if it's like. I mean, there's such a pressure on creative folk, especially when they're young, to be like, have their voice and stuff. And I feel like, I don't know, man. Like, at 21, I didn't know. I had talent, but I didn't know what the fuck. I I knew nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't, I I agree with you. I mean, you look around and you, you, I agree with you. So it's like, you look around and you look at all these people, not to be like, sound, not to sound like, not to generalize and to sound insanely critical but like we look at like who a lot of people that have this platform these platforms that has musicians and it's like you know is there a stereotype of uh drug you know you know drug alcoholism or drug addicts or um and people who might not fully know themselves yet you know and be musicians like that might be a possibility you know but you know you teach their own and like everyone has people's journeys are different you know um uh, I know I didn't have anything figured out really at that age, but um, so people are different though. You know, people learn at their own pace, you know, but I think most musicians I know, you know, personally, like within my world, I can say that like, um, there's a, there's a, there's a few people who are on top of their shit and responsible people. But I think for the most part, like a lot of people deal with, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're like giant babies, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm amazed when there's like a, a artist of any genre, I guess, or form that is 20, 21, who has a realized vision of what they do. But then, like you said, mm-hmm. it's like a lot of bands and people burn out. And it's like, there's a reason a lot of bands only have three good albums. It's because they're fucking 21. <laughs> it's like, like that's a lot to juggle for any per- yeah. person. Of it any. could be being that age, yeah, being that age, like, like dealing with certain pressures that they weren't used to, like uh, getting more and more of an audience or having more pressure to, to, where a lot is put on a record maybe, you know, and I, I don't have really much experience with that, but it was just all theoretical, you know? Um, but yeah, you can, you can see how, and all that stuff, you know, it just uh, starts to spiral on, you know, the reliance upon uh, like these substances to feel better <laughs> becomes more and more necessary. <laughs> did you like, you with, cause you were like, where did, um, 
I, I, I always am like paranoid that I'm not going to be able sure. to read my own handwriting. Shit, oh, yeah. what's the band that you were in? Viol- oh, oh, violent Change, band. Violent Change, or any of those. Yeah, Violent Change. Was that sort of, um, did you feel that was your voice in those bands? or? Well, the thing with most bands I feel like I've been in, I have had more, I feel like more of a voice um, especially the bands that I've sang in, you know, but, um, with violent change, it was like kind of one of those creative, uh, one of, it's one of the few bands I've been in where I've just been, I approached playing bass in a band as like a fan and, um, the songwriter in that band, Matt Bliley, like to this day is like one of my favorite songwriter, you know, um, his, his, his chord changes, his melody is like, he's someone who I've known, uh, like since known of since high school and we've played music together for we've known of each other. And uh, as far as we've grown up together in a ways, but violent change um, when I joined that band in about 2013, um, I joined as a fan, you know, so, and I was completely fine with that role of just coming in and being the bassist and just doing, doing what the songwriter wanted. And I understood my, my, my role with that. And, and uh, I was happy to do it for a number of years. But, um, but yeah, great songwriter. And it was also just to be around someone like that and, and pick apart the material was really helpful for, for me as a songwriter as well. When did you start veering more towards it being your, your thing? Um, you like when I started to focus on like my solo music? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's see in 20, in about 2010, I started, a band with a friend in Mexico that was really inspiring for me in terms of creatively. And, uh, that band is called Francisco y Madero. And it was just a two person thing. And we, we just did a lot of really cool things that were different than what I was used to playing a lot of different styles of music and experimenting with electronic stuff. And then it just kind of helped me develop confidence with that project. And then in about 2016, I think I came out with my first, like little EP for, for Marinero. And that was like all recorded. Everything but the drums were all recorded like in my bedroom. And, and I was just using like, like plugins and, um, but, but yeah, it was like my first attempt to do something solo. And when I look back on it now, um, you know, you can hear, you can hear the Tim Presley in it. In my opinion, you can hear like the, the white fence. Um, and I think that's kind of what, what for me that was kind of going on at the time. Um, that were bands, local bands that I was into and that stuff. And, uh, I, I, I think I was like doing something that was unique to me, but at the same time I was doing it under <gasps> this kind of characteristics of some of the garagey type stuff that was going on in that stuff. And, it, and I think it was just kind of a safe step in the, in that, in the direction of just making music and putting myself out there. And then by the next record, I was doing something completely different and kind of doing like a, I guess more like like sixties inspired sort of Beach Boys sounding stuff, and then since then, like almost almost every record has kind of like morphed a little bit more and more. But uh, yeah, I'd say I'd started really feeling confident about, uh, and it, and all each album man has been a process, Matt. You know, like when I like by the second third album, I've, I, I I felt better about it, the process and making music and and more confident in myself and the last one really was special, like going to Mexico and recording with a bunch of friends of mine and just being able to have that experience under a really short amount of time. And, you know, the the songs aren't perfect looking back, but it was just like, it's perfect. It was perfect. Like, like encapsulation of like that period and like that era and what was going on in my life. And, uh, and it, and it just gave me more confidence to, to do this record. You know, it's like each one kind of, um, boost kind of like either, either the experience itself and walking away from it as an artist or a you know, creative person and looking at it and saying, Oh, we did it, you know, or, and I'm, this is what I'm going to do next time, or I'm going to learn, maybe I'll try more of this or, or add or push myself to try different styles or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's like each record, I think the process of making things has just made me more more and more confident and, I'm not saying like I'm always, always confident about things, but I just, I think as a generalization, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing now, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to learn from it and do, do better, you know? 
Yeah, that seems... I know, I was talking with a friend of mine earlier today about the difference between, like, career and enjoying. And he struggles a lot with, like, being, like, I got to do career stuff. And, uh, and, and it's like he lost... In my opinion, he's lost his sense of fun. Granted, he has to make money because he has a huge thing to take care of. <laughs> but it's like... Wow. I just... I don't want to... I don't know, like losing that sense of fun is seems like creative death to me. Me too. I mean, cause I think like, um, cause like I'm not used to really making any money from this. You know what I mean? And like, it's pretty silly if I really think about like why I do this, I don't have a real solid explanation for you except for it's just this feeling that I've, I've, uh, you know, intermittently, uh, chased throughout my life, you know? And, uh, um, it's just some reason I just love doing it so much. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's crazy in some ways, but, um, it's, I, for me, it just, it, yeah, I have to love it. You know, if, if it gets to a point where, you know, if I don't love it anymore, it's that, that would be crushing, but and something happens to me, you know, I have to figure something else out, but it was like, I was still trying to find some way to do it, you know, uh, but, you know, if I, like lost my hearing or something. Uh, <laughs> like who knows what I'll do, but I don't know. Like I, I'd, I'd still want to be involved somehow. I don't know. It's just, it's, I can't, I can't explain it, but yeah, I, I wouldn't do it for any other reason. Um, I think that would also put too much pressure on it. If you, if you were really just trying to be successful at it. And you see, I see that with certain friends of mine too, like in both in the Bay area, mostly out here, I think in LA, but, um, yeah, I think uh, people aren't doing it to like make a lot of money. Like out, at least my friends in the Bay Area, I don't feel that it's like this. Uh, there's this veneer or like this facade of like we're trying to we're trying to make it. I just feel like there's genuinely a lot of my friends in the Bay Area who are just really enjoying what they're doing. You know, how long have you been in LA? Not long. I I, I moved here in October. Oh um, wow! So because there was sort of yeah, this. About- Oh, sorry. Six months, yeah. Because yeah. there was this, I remember a while back people started, and I saw Sonny Smith post about it, how people thought like the music scene in, in San Francisco and the Bay Area was dying because it was becoming, I mean, the whole city was becoming so expensive and gentrified. And But I feel like, yeah. I mean, I just interviewed uh, Hannah from Fake Fruit and it's like they're an Oakland band. I love her. Oh, she's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, her sister did all the artwork for my for my album too. Oh, cool! Yeah, the world is small, Lauren, or maybe not because yeah. I just talk to musicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know each other. Yeah, you all look alike too. But Hannah's great. Hannah's great. What did she? Well, <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> I didn't mention you, but I mean, it just it made me feel like discovering that band and uh, I, and and you know, of course, you come from there and and you know. Tim moved back there and Sonny still is there that it's not, but it seems, is it harder to survive in San Francisco these days or is there still those nooks? That... Yeah. I mean, I think it is. I mean, I, I was lucky. I had the nook and I um, mean, it might be a different story. Um, if I move back and, you know, since I've been here, you know, that we've been in this pandemic and you hear about all these nerds that have moved to our city or moving back home, you know? So it's like, tr- my, my friend told me on the phone or recently, I think last week he said, uh, Mike being from a uh, spiritual cramp, he's like rents in SF seems to be similar to like LA prices now, you know? So, I mean, maybe there's more, um, opportunity for that. And maybe, maybe with this change, that's a positive thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think a musical always, they're always being nooks. Like, um, no matter what, um, there's like, I was living in like the outer Richmond or like the sunset and even out there in that area, you know, there was like a scene of people doing really cool things. You know, there was like that band, the she's, there was this band, uh, Hardener. Um, uh, I feel like, uh, what are they called? World Smasher. Um, a lot of friends bands, uh, like find their own scenes out there. So like they were having, they were putting on shows like at this really, cool like movie theater on Balboa, the Balboa theater actually. And, you know, people find ways to do it. Like we lose, we lose the hemlock and the p- people are going to figure out something else. You know, I mean, we were, there are less and less places and that's, that becomes disheartening. Absolutely. But it's not going to stop the flow of creativity or, or people finding ways to channel that, you know? Um, and there's definitely like a, you know, a, still plenty of 
musicians. It's it's less and less, and it's unfortunate there's less and less places to play. But, but I think between Oakland and San Francisco, I'm I mean for me it, the move felt more like I think stylistically, um, I just felt like there was more of a home for what I'm doing here in LA, and uh, I think that the style that I'm playing music wise, like if I if I wanted to, if I was playing like teenage fan club sounding <laughs> music, then I would be in heaven right now in SF. You know what I mean? Or like you know. If I was, or, you know, I feel like this is the style of music or whatever, however it's evolving, however it's changing, um, the music that I'm making, I just feel there were, there were less bands that I could learn, like learn from or be scared of, or like, you know, and there, there are those artists down here in LA that, that I'm, you know, uh, that I, that I'm a fan of, or I just, you know, you know, the types of artists that scare you and they like motivate you to do better. Like I find like, there's more musicians out here that I'm just like, fuck you, you know, just like, who are some of this? <laughs> um, Eduardo, Eduardo Arenas. He's like, a, he's a friend of mine. And so I'm not, I'm not literally telling him to F off, but he's so good. And his, the band that he plays with Eduardo, Eduardo Arenas is the bass player. Also of a band called Chicano Batman. Oh and yeah. He has his Chicano own solo Batman. project. Exactly. He's so there's, there's like one main singer that plays the organ and then, there's like the, the bass player that sings a couple songs, maybe on close to each record. And, uh, and then, he, so he has his own solo project. And I mean, the few times I've seen them play, I, I've been like, so I've been, I felt so blown away with like the musical risks they take and the chances, like the kind of styles that they're kind of combining and, and the energy and, uh, and just the musicians that are involved, you know, like, like LA has a different level of like professionalism. I mean, in terms of people being responsible for their craft out here that, you know, out in SF, you know, you, you don't have to bring, you can get away with not bringing a tuner to practice, you know, <laughs> Hey, you can hit up, hit up the guitar, but like, let me borrow your tuner. You know what I mean? Like you don't need one. Like you might not even be in tune. Um, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but like people show up, <laughs> the few people I've met out here, like are, really take it seriously. Like I, I had a practice, even last night and two people came into the session and we were basically like, Hey, learn the whole album. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we pulled it off. We played every song on the record and it was like, uh, for, for two of the guys, like one was a drummer and one was, was a keyboard player. Um, it was a lot to ask. And, and I feel like most people in those scenarios come, come prepared, you know, not, it wasn't perfect, but, the, the people that I've been fortunate enough to meet have, have been really uh, professional about being prepared. You mentioned risk taking. Is there, what does risk taking mean to you and how do you, how do you keep yourself sort of, I guess, I don't know how to say it in check to, or to keep, make push yourself, I guess. Is... Yeah. I think in the example of like Eduardo, like I just see, I just hear a lot going on. Like, there's a style of cumbia, I think that he plays like that. I forgot what what country exactly he's 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 uh, adopting this niche, this specific type of cumbia from the '90s that has like synthesizers in it, and it's like really high energy. Um, but it's also like to using like sounds effects. Um, like it almost sounds proggy at times using harmonies. Like you could tell this fool listens was like a metal head back in the day. You can tell that he has got a lot of energy and he, and he brings it. Um, he can definitely croon and he's definitely a good singer, but he's also like, he hits hard. Like the band is like really like just turned up to 11, like energy wise. And they're all like riffing and like, um, they're all like really good guitar players and harmonizing. And it's just like the idea of, of doing something that, you know, is, outside a box of what people are maybe comfortable with. And, and I don't, I don't mean to jab like teenage fan club, but I'm just saying like there are molds and, and sounds and bands that we can easily slip into, um, and kind of get away. And that's kind of like when I started playing music and with Muddy Neto, why I was kind of, it maybe had a little bit of a garage sound, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's easy for people to stay in a safe place sometimes. And, um, and maybe not to, you know, do anything too unique, you know, um, but for me, I guess to keep myself in check, I think, and we'll see what happens next. But uh, at this point I've been able to like, try to do something different or try to add more to a record or make each record sound a little bit different. And maybe that's cliche. Maybe that's like, 
inevitable for artists and bands, but, um, I like, I tried to write a, a disco song on this record and, uh, I've never done that before, <laughs> you know? Um, so what made you go was, disco tune? It just, it felt like a celebration at the end. I don't know. Maybe it was some of the music I was listening to. I was, I, I was actually listening to like, uh, a lot of Ennio Morricone and there was like this one soundtrack he'd done and I forgot the name of it. Um, but there was like a disco version of a song that he'd made in a, for a movie and it sounds really off and like weird and kind of cheesy, but there's something I also really love about it. Um, it's in its epicness of like the, like the, uh, you could imagine like a, a choir in the background singing and all this counterpoint happening. It's like really beautiful still. And, and I just thought like there's, there's certain sounds that I'm, I'm uh, that are very inspired by Ennio Morricone on this record. And I felt like, what there is it felt like a really fun idea to like uh end the record and the experience um with this uh the album with something really upbeat and really energetic you know and kind of leaving the listener in a place of like how, like feeling like how the fuck did we get here like how did we get out of disco song you know and like where where is this going next and i kind of like that idea of like that question of like hmm. like i I wanted to, I wanted to kind of keep myself guessing or keep keep the listener guessing too. Like I can I could I could try to do whatever I feel you like doing now that I'm in LA. You know. So did you? Because I read that the album is like a, a love letter and a good and a goodbye letter to San Francisco and specifically the mission. Was that? Did you know you were splitting when you started writing it or was that more of like, cause I also thought, is that also like a goodbye in the sense of the gentrification that's happened? Oh, wow. Um, it was more, it was, it was when I mapped out the whole record earlier on and this is before I did, I dive deep into the, to the lyrics. What I did was I, I basically like, and I, and I try to do this with every album. I try to like map out these rough, song ideas demos and string it all together and create um like like the, the whole set like track list earlier on without really delving into it and then just from like looking at the listening to the music and, and getting a sense of the vibe and where i was at at that point knowing that I, i've been wanting to move for a long time i just realized like it occurred because i wanted to have like an overarching theme with the record i wanted to have like uh like a a, a way to create a narrative with it instead of just having song by song. Um, I wanted to get really nerdy and just like have a conceptual thing going on. And, um, which, which may have just made extra work for myself, but, um, and, and, and just the idea of moving, um, gave me the perspective to think about things a little bit different. You know, I feel like you have a last day on the job or if you have a last day of a class, you kind of like look around or you kind of appreciate things a little bit more unless you hate that place, you know, but, um, you're, you're, you appreciate things a little bit more. And it, it wasn't necessarily like just about the mission. There was definitely a song that kind of like touches upon gentrification specifically, but you know, my, my parents, uh, my dad, my mom grew up there my dad moved there in the sixties and like 68. Um, there were all these things that were happening in SF around that time and things like, that we're just fortunate to, uh, to be a part of historically, you know, in that city. And I, and, and it just gave me some perspective to kind of like maybe talk about my personal history, my experience, my parents' history, some of the things that were going on in my friends' lives at the time. Um, I just wanted it to be like a little snapshot of where my life was at and just like kind of a way to say goodbye, you know, not necessarily to like, a city that is being like taken over by gentrification, but it was more so just to like, um, I just wanted to leave everyone with like a really warm <laughs> hug as like corny as that sounds, you know, but doesn't sound corny. <clears throat> I don't, it's such an interesting city. Cause uh, I'm, I've been going there. The first time I went there was like 94 and I fell in love with it. I was there for two weeks working. Oh, nice. And most of it was just dicking off and getting loaded, to be quite honest. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good city for it. Yeah, and it was like back then it was like, you know, you could still find CD rumble tumble like bars. And I, I don't even, couldn't even tell you where my friend took me, but it was like a really filthy punk bar and it was f fucking awesome. <laughs> but, nice. and I, but I feel, and I got married. Maybe vendors. Maybe. I remember, I don't know, I was pretty loaded. But, uh, and my wife and I got married there and 
I guess technically oh, my nice. daughter was conceived there. And if you really must know, in a soaking. That was camp. a good two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. The, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I feel like, you know, it's, I've always dreamed of living there and I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen now. It's like, it's insane. Right. Yeah. You know, I have friends that are from, that I grew up with, you know, um, you know, they, they, they moved to Portland or they move other places. Cause you know, it's hard, it's hard. It's impossible to, for them to actually enjoy their quality of life and live in, in the Bay area, you know, um, Just, maybe, maybe that'll change. Maybe, maybe, maybe things will, uh, with, with some of the changes that are happening with tech, you know, and, and, and some of the downtown areas, you know, um, but who knows, but, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm fortunate to still have family there. So I'll be able to visit and stuff, but yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was, I was, I was fortunate to even live in that city. Um, like I, I had one of those little nooks or little pockets of, of rent control that was really fortunate, but, um, yeah. The, yeah. It's, is, uh, is someone who grew up there and whose family is from there, does it, how do you feel about how, when it changes to such, I mean, as all cities change, but it, it fucking changed. Like, I think, yeah. I mean, it sucks when you have like family that like, can't like, can't afford to live there and like places they like grew up, you know what I mean? Like, but there my like my, my aunt couldn't be the one like any, she's such a positive person. And like, she has every right to be like, fuck that place or like fuck that changes but she's like the most hippy dippy like uh has the most healthy head on her shoulder you know and she's just like man man you know things change you know um <laughs> i don't know why i sound like tommy chong but that's kind of how she sounds anyway but um but uh but yeah i mean like i think it, it things are definitely out of my control it's like i i can't like get too invested and it sucks to lose certain things and like and i think the song Nuestra Victoria was, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, it, it's an interesting song because I'm not like blaming anything. I'm not like, um, saying fuck you techie or anything. I'm not like taking that side necessarily. We're just talking about like just remembering things, you know, and, um, honoring it through music. And like with, um, for me as like a Bay area native, I guess, like, it's, 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 it's one of any from traveling and playing music. I mean, these things are happening here in LA. These things are happening in Seattle. These things are happening in Portland. You know, these things are probably happening all over the country, um, to some degree. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it sucks to know people that are like, like affected by it, that can't be there anymore. Um, but it's like one of those things you would just kind of have to accept on, on, on some level, you know, and uh, try to be, make the best of it and try to remember and honor our history, you know, um, and respect our history, you know, and uh, yeah. And it's also fun to make fun of like, you know, people on scooters and, you know, people drinking out of Mason jars and stuff, you know, painting <laughs> birds all over shit. <laughs> It's just, it's like, uh, because I have always been of a low income, I have always lived in low income neighborhoods and it's like, I've been pushed out of neighborhoods and this dumb fucking town I live in now, we almost were getting pushed out of. And it's just like, and it's like, we want to raise our kids here. And then suddenly it's like, nope, got to go somewhere else. And it's like, and I have a monicum of that. Is that, I hope that's the right word of experience opposed to somebody who, you know, grew up in that in the mission and to, is the mission just totally a different world now? I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely pockets of it that are still like 24th street, which was like where that song, Nostra Victoria takes place. Like I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that, and there's still things that have changed there definitely, but I'm glad to see that that, that part of the city still exists, you know, like, um, and, um, but yeah, um, I mean, thing, things have definitely changed. Like there's like, like the apartment where my, my aunt lived most of her life, like is like completely different. I think it's like a sushi restaurant now or something, you know, like that's a good that whole neighbor. 
yeah. I haven't been there, but yeah. But, yeah, um, how is it? I mean, let's not knock it yeah, till yeah, we've yeah. been oh, there. Great. Yeah, no. <laughs> great bento. Uh, yeah, um, we no. ate at some old-timey ice cream shop in the Mission when we honeymooned there. I don't know if that rings. Oh, nice. From the 20s. I forget who told me to... I think it was Owen Ashworth. Maybe. Owen Ashworth, I think, from uh, Casio Tone might have told me to go there. Does it matter? Yeah, it was like you just walk in and it's just like, it's kind of just all laid out and uh, all wide and you kind of walk in. Yeah. It might might be Mitchell's. Yeah, it's like an old-timey fountain shop and all that ice cream. Was it like a newer place that seemed... No, it like was old. Timing? It was old as fuck. Okay, okay, okay. Huh? Maybe maybe it was Mitchell's. I mean, that's like I think one of the most. I think that's kind of like this legacy ice cream. Yeah, like the most famous ice cream spot. Um, um, I was interested just to go back, like you said, you sort of outline, or is that how you said it? But when you yeah. approach an album, which I find, because yeah. I always wondered, like, <clears throat> I mean, maybe it's different for everybody, but it's like it is. I think, yeah. But that's fascinating to me that you're like, okay, A, A, A to Z, sort of the whole album. Yeah. And do you like sort of like, like sort of like a script writer have like shuffle things around and be like, do you know when you go into recording, like this is what's going to be song three, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So when I, when I made this one, um, I had to, I was fortunate to work with this friend, Jason Kick and we usually, usually I've demoed it all myself and understood the order and then recorded it either myself or with friends. Um, but still knowing the, the order and everything. And with Jason, we, we, we had a lot of time to work on it. We had about a year and, uh, I demoed it with them. And then from those demos, we, we were able to string it all together. And then we just went in and, and, uh, and, and after it was mapped out, we just recorded it. And, and so, but uh, you know, I'm also sitting there looking at it and I'm thinking like, you know, what I don't want to have too much of this sound. I want to like sprinkle it in with this song gear, this style. I kind of want to like, I didn't want it to sound like, like the same or, or, you know, too similar at times. I wanted it to kind of grow, you know? And so where the last album ended, I was doing a little bit more boss and a little bit more like Samba stuff. And I knew that with like the first song on the record, I, I wanted to kind of take the listener's hand and, say like, Hey, remember me? And like, you know, and a little bit and add a little bit more percussion and a little bit more arrangements. And I think that was the, the what really differentiated it more. And then from there, kind of like, um, take the listener. It kind of gave once, once I kind of like, uh, um, I can think makes, make the listener feel comfortable and like, Oh yeah, this is, this is what we're used to a little bit. And then take and then at that point, take them on a completely different journey, you know, with some sonic things or songs or styles. And, um, Oh, oh did I interrupt you? But it just gave me the ability to like, cur- like curate it or map it out a little bit more, you know, like, uh, um, and then you have, then I have to go in and write lyrics to these songs, which <laughs> takes me, takes me way much longer, like doing that. Like I, it's, e- it's easier for me to kind of like come up with chord changes and melodies and stuff. But when I'm sitting down with a pad of paper, I'm like, okay, where are we going here? You know, do you know what you want to, do you know what you want to say? Or is it, is it often a blank canvas lyrically? It's, it's generally like, I'll, I'll, I'll listen. The music will kind of dictate a feeling I think, or a sentiment. And sometimes we'll kind of, sometimes we'll change it completely from like, uh, like outer, outer lands, which is uh, on the record. It's kind of like this sort of Burt Baccarat sounding song. And in my opinion, or Carol King or something. And, uh, and it started off as just like a, like a, like a breakup song, but, um, I just never got around to finishing it. And that song was kind of on the back burner. Um, but a lot of the other songs were kind of new. And so they didn't have anything really associated with it. And they were kind of blank canvases. And, um, yeah, like, uh, when I, when I played through the fog, the chords, um, I think, I, I think Hannah's boyfriend, um, uh, has a label, uh, Christian, he has uh, kills me. Rob, um, I remember his name, but his, his, his label, he, he's in a, he's in a, a band called, um, who's in Mulwalk and he's in Blues Lawyer and he has his own label. He has, the point is he has, he has this, this, these cassettes he put out, which were all demos. And I put a, a demo of, of this, that through the fog back in the day and I called it like foggy Samba in seven. <laughs> I didn't even have a name for it. And it was just like me with a voice memo, just doing like a, singing for like free, like just 
lyricless melodies over the chords. And I just, I just knew that like that song sort of had like a grayness to it, like in terms of the feel for me, you know? And so like, I wanted to like, so kind of through the fog, the idea of that song kind of came from just like the, just thinking about it for a while, letting it seep in and trying to get a vibe from the chord, the chord changes and feel. Sometimes I go into it and, um, and really let the, let the, the chords and, you know, dictate that feeling. But sometimes I just like the ones that take me a longer time to write lyrics. Like there's a song about Alcatraz. That song took me a long time to really, and I feel like with that song, it's like, I, I really tried to staple on like a, an idea over the, over the changes and a mel and an idea over the melody. Um, more and more so because I just wanted to get the sentiment out. You know, I wanted to get this story about Alcatraz over these chords and it took me longer to kind of like come up with something when it, it didn't really originate from that place, you know, so it can, it can kind of work in a few different ways. Um, listening to you talk too, and from the stuff, your, your influences in the music that you, I guess, reference is a pretty wide variety. And like you said, Burt Bacharach and, uh, and Rico, who's um, blanking, you know, the guy who did all the sound. Oh, well, Esquivel. Oh, in Ennio Morricone. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't skid it out of my mouth. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, and then also I found an article where you talked about like uh, Los Freddy's, Los Angeles yeah. Negros and Malo. Like you have this wide and wild uh, array of, of influences that I, th I think, I don't know, like a lot of people don't have. And like some, but it's like, I mean, I know some of it's from your, obviously from your family, but like the seventies and all, where do all these, is it, I don't know if this is too broad of it, but like, where does that all come from? So to speak, did your, yeah, I, I think, it, I think it comes from, I think you nailed it. It comes from families, you know, it comes from like, like just cause, just cause I grew up listening to some of those artists doesn't mean we weren't listening to Michael Jackson too. You know, like we were all listening to all the same stuff, plus a little extra just cause of like, maybe some culture and then you find you find friends um who you know who, who grew up in similar cultures who, have, who can turn you on to different stuff too and and uh I, i've i feel like my world's broadened you know since um since i've traveled and spent more time in mexico um and i've developed more relationships with with artists and friends out there and family and and uh there's just a lot that I feel like I was exposed to from, from friends and family out there. And, um, yeah, I mean, and then I just, you know, through being a musician, I've met a, a lot of really cool D, like DJs and I love talking to DJs. I love talking about music with them too. You know, I love, uh, I love, I love collecting as well, you know? So, um, I guess it has most to do with family and just like similar friends that have similar maybe families or upbringing or, Maybe, maybe, maybe just traveling has, has opened me up a little bit more too, but you know, there's, there's definitely some things I feel like aren't for everybody with certain groups of friends in terms of if I'm driving and I'm going to put music on, I'm like, oh, I don't think this person would dig this, but I, I, I definitely like to have variety, you know, like, um, uh, like a lot of my friends are rockers and I was, I've been a rocker and, you know, and, um, uh, so it's just, yeah, there's just a, there's just so much good stuff to pull from, you know, and maybe it's because we also live in this, this, this era of just like, like it's not just listening to live one Oh five or like the radio and like having our cassette loaded and waiting for our song to come on and pressing record and making our own mixtapes, you know, with these collage cassettes, you know, it's like we, we have anything we want at our fingertips, you know? Yeah. Um, it seemed like I grew up in a world that was very close minded to, to, different genres of music and be it like the world being blatantly racist and homophobic and, and where you, you know, disco was, you know, that it's like that disco demolition thing that happened. That was in my hometown. God bless. <laughs> wow. See, I didn't realize that till uh, I started doing that, doing that song and I started to go a little deeper and realizing like, this was a, this was a, this was a sound for like minorities, you know? This is a sound like for like safe places and this style of music, and uh, for queer for for people of color and you name it, you know all all and all those varieties, you know. But uh, um, 
and that's it seems like that had a lot to do with the demolition right like yeah i mean the whole disco sucks thing was i mean at its core was a racist homophobic and it's and i think they touch upon that at the end of the bg's documentary and it's absurd because it's uh, there's such great it's like the beaches are fucking great it's like for absolutely it's just weird to me that people would shit on entire genres of music where now i feel like yeah we're more open-minded or at least it seems like a lot of people are more open-minded to everything musically i think i think you're right yeah um yeah that, that that's that's crazy i mean it's like it's just i think having the internet having a kids growing up with everything at their fingertips too like it's cool to, it's cool that we could share these ideas you know and uh i mean um there's just so much that people can be exposed to now and it's cool like connecting with other people in different countries too like i found in mexico like there were certain things that like i don't know about you know just because i grew up in the united states obviously and there's certain things that they don't and but but i did find like there was a lot of like uh some like new, newer contemporary underground artists like we were all into or like shared a lot of like um similar tastes and things like that um it was easy to connect and make music with other creatives in, in mexico even in different country because we we're all listening to kind of the same stuff anyway <laughs> which is cool maybe i'm wrong but at least this is my observation from living in neighbor mexican neighborhoods most of my life is that there is an appreciation for the culture and the history of the music whereas like like my family, you wouldn't hear s- sitting around listening to Irish jigs and polka music. I listen to polka mm-hmm. music, but it's like, but mm-hmm. I would see, and like I worked in a bar that was owned by Mexicans for, or Mexican women for a long time. It's like the whole family listened to the, all the old and more like traditional music. And I was like, wow, that's fucking great that it's, that they keep that tradition alive where in, at least in my world, we were like fucking polka. That's idiot music. <laughs> Being said, I yeah, still listen I, to polka music. I think nostalgia just plays a big, I talk about this a lot with friends, but nostalgia, I think plays a role in aspects of, of the culture, like the, the Mexican American culture, uh, which I could speak to more, you know, cause it, it has its own identity. That's different than being born in Mexico. And, you know, but, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, older music or oldies or traditional songs or, or you know, boleros or corridos or traditional romanticas um, songs that have been covered by different musicians as well, kind of like standards. Um, um, you know, the idea of like older cars and things like that and and uh, older styles like clothing and things like that, like uh, kind of like honoring like where where our relatives and the things that they were doing and the styles that they were creating. And, and, uh, I was talking with a friend the other day, like the idea of like older cars. I, I have like a newer car from like 2008, but, um, the idea of like having an older car and like, um, and, and it was kind of like a symbol, even though, even though in the fifties, like or sixties, when these cars were like relevant of like, of like status, but I think they're preserved and like, and they still re- are held on with that level of status, you know, and maybe, maybe certain families weren't able to afford them at the time, but maybe like 10 years later, they were able to afford them. You know what I mean? And like, um, uh, just, just for an example, which I found interesting, you know, but, uh, it's just, it's this interesting conversation. I can't say it's any one thing, but, but, uh, yeah, it, it could have to do with like our, maybe, maybe like family too. And it's like, I, I link, I link family members to certain songs or older songs too, or, the idea of like listening to a record and crying and thinking about a <laughs> relative. Or, and that was definitely something that I was exposed to growing up, you know? So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think there is an idea of nostalgia. It's this, this, this love for nostalgia and history. Um, and I think that with my music, there's, there's definitely, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, me, I'm just, I'm not just like wearing like a, like a sixties suit and I'm not just doing this like old sound and it's not like all on tape and it's not like with this type of equipment, um, that pet sounds was recorded with, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all like, uh, it's all, you know, on software and it's all recorded digitally. And we're trying to, I'm just trying to do something, take, take a, a beat or take a ideas from, from the hat, from the past and kind of try to do something different with it or try to push it a little bit. 
All right, good, sir. Awesome, man. Thanks for giving me the opportunity, dude. Oh, good thank you. To you. I was, I, and I'd love to, if I didn't say it, I love your music and I love the album is great. So I don't want to, I didn't want to. Thank you, man. Uh, you did say that. And thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, God bless, golden Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with the Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber if you like. Also, subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with the Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.